Hello and welcome to Dream City Omaha. My name is Vince and I want to thank you so much for joining us today. If this is your first Sunday, whether in person or online, please let us know by texting WELCOME to 402-383-1874. Now sit tight as service is about to begin. Well, this morning, Pastor John is gone, you may have noticed. Uh, Soraya mentioned the pink. I will not apologize for being sunshine on a cloudy day. Uh, in addition to being ravishingly good-looking and the best preacher I know, he also coaches our 14-year-old son's select baseball team. So they are down in Des Moines for a baseball tournament this morning. They just won 11 to 2. We got this fa- I know! Got this fancy little app that I can, I mean, first world problems, right? We can watch everything. He was pitching. I could see all the things. Grandma and grandpa down there too, because when you're grandma and grandpa, you can do whatever you want. And so they're there. <laughs> I am your consolation prize this morning. I love following Soraya. Oh, thanks. I love following Soraya because she's so funny. And whether you know this or not, laughing actually prepares your brain for learning. So thank you for paving the way, for preparing them. You guys know I am way more of a teacher than a preacher, so get your notes out, get your Bible app out, do what you need to do, watch this three, four, five times, whatever you need to do to get it in your spirit. This morning we are going to be starting a new series. Um, if you've been with us for a while, you know that We've been talking about this idea or this concept of being reborn, and so many of you, the, the feedback on that was just overwhelmingly positive. So many of you connected with Nicodemus. Hey, I've got some questions. I've got some doubts, right? What, what do you mean reborn, born again? What does that even mean? For some of you, you really took that challenge of calling sin, sin, of calling it out in your life, and maybe it's because you recognize, you know what? This is what's keeping me from intimacy. This is what's keeping me from intimacy, first with my father, and second with the people that he's put in my life. But, but no matter who you are or what you got out of that series, here's what I need everyone in this place to know. That series was strategically executed to set you up for where we're going next. Before I tell you where that is, let's just pray this morning. God, help. Help me help them. We need you. Amen. Listen, sometimes, right, it's just that simple. So what we're going to be doing and what we're going to be talking about over the next four weeks is this idea of reintegration. Somebody say reintegration. I know what you're thinking. Of course, it's a big word because it's you, angel. Reintegration. You guys are laughing because you know my affection for vocabulary. Reintegration is really this, this principle of the idea or the process of being made whole again. Let me say that again. The process of being made whole. What does it mean to be made whole? Perfect, complete, lacking nothing. Anybody interested in that this morning? Right. Me to sign me up. So, so we're going to be talking about this idea of reintegration. And the reason that the Reborn series was a setup for reintegration is because when you were reborn or you were born again, a crucial part of your being, a crucial element or component of your wholeness was made alive. That component is your spirit. And your spirit, we now know, was made alive through Christ. Can I just tell you that there is no human on this earth that can be made whole 
without their spirit first coming alive in and through Christ. I can say that boldly and unapologetically because I believe that the Bible is the infallible word of God and that's what it tells me. And so now that our spirit is alive in Christ, we can begin this journey of being made whole. But we'll never do it without him. We'll try. Oh, we'll try. We'll try so hard. The reality is, though, too many of us are living fractured lives, even in the church. And that is a travesty. We're living these fractured or broken lives. And rather than seeing it for what it is, which is a brokenness, the experts have gotten together and they've come up with a whole slew of these fancy words, these fancy terms, terms like disassociation, in terms like body dysphoria, mind-body incongruence, split personalities. Are these real terms? Absolutely. They're so real, in fact, we love to make movies about them and documentaries. But the problem is they're missing it completely because they're reductionistic in nature. What does that mean? It means that their very definition and assignment reduces you, reductionist reduces, reduces you to a list of your symptoms in any given season. And it could be a season of transition, a season of loss, a season of 2020. 2020 was a season, right? A season of COVID, but it reduces you to a list of your symptoms. This is far less clinical and more practical than you realize. I hear this all the time. Well, you need to read your Bible. Oh, Angel, I can't do that. I'm ADD. I am ADD. I can't focus. I am bipolar. I am depressed. I am an alcoholic. I haven't touched a drink in 10 years, but I am an alcoholic. And if I stop calling myself that, I might fall off the wagon. The logic in that still escapes me. I am, you fill in the blank. We are reduced to our symptoms. And the problem here is that this this idea, this theology doesn't take into account your story, your life, your journey, which was without a doubt met with mountaintops and valleys Highs and lows, struggles, blessings, life, death. But rather than seeing that as a whole, we we break it down to a list of symptoms and then we stamp our identity on it. We stamp our future on that. It looks at you not as a whole, but as a fraction. And maybe this morning you feel like a fraction. You feel like a shell of a being, broken, But make no mistake about it, church, we serve a holistic God, a God who is the author and the finisher of your story. And if you're willing, he wants to teach you what this process of being made whole is really about, this principle of reintegration. Let's take a look at the scripture with regards to it. It says this in in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. It says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. God's plan for you is wholeness. Without a question, without a shadow of a doubt. This morning, we're going to take a look at this idea of reintegration as a concept, as a function, and as a lifestyle. And then in the weeks to come, I'm telling you where we're going, so you're not going to be caught off guard. In the weeks to come, what we're going to do is we're going to break down these components in a very tangible and applicable way for, for the sole purpose of equipping you, his bride, his church, to live holy, integrated lives. Lives that are perfect, complete, and lacking nothing. You might be surprised at the definition of those words, but that's what I want to equip you to do. So this morning, let's start. Let's start with just looking at it as a concept. In order to stand, understand the concept of reintegration, we have to first understand what pieces we're dealing with. If you've ever put together a puzzle, you can appreciate the value of all of the right pieces being in the box, right? If you ever put together a puzzle and you're missing a piece and it's like, gosh darn it. But if you've put together a puzzle, you appreciate the fact that I need all of the right pieces. What I'm looking at now, yes, it's fractured. There's a lot of pieces, but I'm confident in knowing that the pieces that I need for this image to be made whole are all in this box. Well, what are the pieces that I need to be made whole? You just read about it, but first, before we go into that, can I just tell you what's not in your box? What components in your life are not necessary for your wholeness? You'll probably be a little surprised. Relationship status. Whether you are married, single, divorced, widowed, engaged, your relationship status has no bearing on your ability, your capacity for wholeness. Your bank account. You will never reach a certain dollar amount in your checkings, checkings, or your savings, or your 401k, your investments. You're never going to get to a certain dollar amount and breathe that sigh of relief. <sighs> now I'm full. No. Your titles, your achievements, your awards, your degrees, your job, your prodigal children, Oh, that one hurt. Listen, keep praying for those babies. But the moment that you shackle your wholeness to them returning, you've made them an idol in your life. They're not a component for your wholeness this morning. Will all of those things affect your journey? Influence your journey of wholeness? Absolutely. My Lord, yes. But they're not essential components of your wholeness. They're not necessary for your reintegration. For you and I, those necessary components have to do with how we were created. We were created as three-part beings. For most of us, this, this is not a new concept. About a year and a half, two years ago, Pastor John broke this down brilliantly in the Forward series. And, and he talked about this, this concept of our three-part being. If you've never watched that message, it's entitled Dietary Restrictions. Go back and listen to it. It was so good. But if you're just joining us, let me just give you an overview of this as a concept. We as human beings are three-part beings. 
which is why Paul refers to each one of those parts in his letter to the church. So so we are three-part beings. To understand Paul's frame of reference for this scripturally, we have to go back to the very beginning. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, go ahead and put that scripture up. It says, And the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils in the breath of life, and the man became a living soul. This is Paul's scriptural basis for him talking to to the church about their whole body, their whole being being necessary for this idea or this process of reintegration. I've heard it said before that we are a spirit, we possess a soul, and we live in a body. And all three we see in the very beginning. Here's what God says. He says, the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. Those are the physical entities that make up our physical body. And then the Bible says that he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. The breath of life is often translated as the breath of the spirit, God's spirit. So so we we have the body. We have the breath of the spirit. In John chapter 20, Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus breathed his breath onto the disciples and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So we have the body, we have the spirit. And then it says the man became a living soul. So we are body, we are spirit, and we are soul. You need to understand, oftentimes we, we read scripture and we, and we lack context, right? And that is so dangerous because then we take things out of context. But here, here's the thing. I want to give you a little, a little window into to Paul's heart when he's writing to this church. When he, when he pens this first letter to the church in Thessalonica, he had been worried about them. He had been with them for a short time didn't get to teach them as much as he wanted to, had to leave suddenly and flee because of persecution. And so he's really worried about them the whole time. And so finally he sends his, his disciple Timothy back. He's like, Tim, go back and check on this church. I just want to make sure that, that they're doing okay. So Timothy goes back, he comes back, and he's like, you know what, Paul? They're actually, they're doing pretty good. Oh, I'm so relieved. So then he sits down to write this letter of encouragement to them. First Thessalonians is that letter to the church. And he says, guys, listen, you're doing great. Here's what he says. He says, God is good. All throughout the first four chapters, God is good. His word is true. It can be trusted. Keep up the good work. Here's some helpful tips that he kind of lines out in the first four chapters. He said, listen, live holy lives. Avoid Stay away from sexual sin. Don't cheat each other. Love one another. Mind your business. Work hard. Fight the good fight until Jesus returns, which he tells them that day will come like a thief in the night. He says, you've got to be clear-headed, patient, but not lazy. And then he ends his first letter with this prolific charge that we just read about. He says, oh, oh, you want to know how to do all that? Lean in. Lean in. I'm going to give you the secret. I'm going to give you the ticket. In order to do all that, to live the life that God created and tasked you for, it's going to take wholeness. It's going to take reintegration. It's not just about your spirit. This wholeness, this reintegration is going to require your body. It's going to require your soul. And it's going to require your spirit. I I love the, the applicability of that letter, right? Or maybe I'm the only one that needs to be reminded this morning. Angel, stay in your lane. Work hard. Love each other. Fight the good fight because Jesus is coming back. Me and Glory. Okay. The rest of you, I don't know what's going to happen to you. But, But this letter, 
It's so functional for us. It's so applicable for us this morning. And the reason Paul gives them this window, this ticket, is because when we understand how we're made and how God designed us to function, it's so much easier to live a life of wholeness. John tells me all the time, Angel, you got to work smarter, not harder. It gets on my nerves so bad. I am very, I'm a, I will work hard, <laughs> but sometimes I work in ignorance because there's some things going on that I don't know about, but I'm just doing what I know to do. Listen, this morning, I just want to peel back the veil. Good, work hard, keep working hard, but work smarter, not harder. The concepts and the functions of our being are not just important when it comes to, to sin or keeping temptations at bay. I want to share a story with you this morning. And it's a story that I've never shared on a public platform because it was literally the scariest moment of my life. And prior to this moment, I probably could not have maintained composure in telling it. Before I tell you the story, though, there's two disclaimers, okay? <laughs> two things you need to know. Number one, I'm a good mom, okay? <sighs> but listen, even good moms have bad stories. So none of the information that I'm going to share with you are you allowed to use in judging me, okay? <laughs> Disclaimer number two, I am very much a responder, not a reactor. That makes me a really good therapist because I can hear all the jaw-dropping details and not react, but I would make a terrible paramedic or EMT. In highly emotionally charged situations, I literally go stupid, and I just stand there like, oh, you're bleeding everywhere. You might die. So you don't want me in, in highly charged emotional situations. All right, so those are my two disclaimers. Now for my story. Christian, go ahead and put that picture up. These are my baby boys. This picture is actually very old. It was actually taken five years ago um, on our first trip taking the kids to the ocean. Most of you know we have four kids. We have three boys, and then we have our, our little princess. But this was the first time that any of them had ever seen the ocean. And that little guy in the middle, that's my Carter boy. He is the sweetest boy that you'll ever meet. He is just a lover of humanity. And so he loved the ocean. From the moment that his little toes hit that sand, he could not get enough of it. So I, so I have a friend that lives in Charleston. So we had decided this summer that we were going to drive down and stay with her and take the kids to see the ocean. And, and that first day that we were there, again, this kid just could not get enough of it. That crystal fine sand between his toes and the warm water and the waves crashing over, he was about that life. So we spend a whole day at the beach. And then that night, we're kind of trying to talk about, well, what do we want to do tomorrow? Now, not only does Charleston house some of the most beautiful beaches, but it's also rich in history. And you guys already know what a history nerd your pastor is. So he was itching to get some history binging in. So we're talking about the next day, that night. Our kids at the time were not old enough. Carter is five in that picture. Jewel is only three. They were just not old enough, nor were we going to spend the money tramping them through museums for an entire day in 110 degrees and 100% humidity in Charleston. So, being the gracious, amazing wife that I am, I said, you know what, baby, why don't you take tomorrow and, and you just go 
museum binge to your heart's desire. I'll just take the kids back to the beach. We'll just chill there. You go and geek out until your brain cannot possibly handle any more history. Didn't take much convincing on my part, and we had a plan. So the next day, my friend, her husband, and their four children, and me and my four children, we load up and we head to the beach. Now, what you need to know about Charleston, and maybe this was just new to me, but they have these things called tide pools. Does anybody know what a tide pool is? Okay, so what happens is the, the, the tide will come in, and it will come in so far that it will fill these ravine-type areas with about a foot or two of ocean water. And then when the tide goes out, it's essentially like the baby pool of the ocean. This worked out perfectly for us because we had small children. So we're about 25 yards away from the actual big scary ocean with the waves and the drowning and all that stuff. So this worked great for my small kids. Problem is, is I've got an almost nine and 10 year old that are no longer um, amused by a foot of water. So every so often, we would go and they'd get bored. Mom, can we go over to the ocean? Yes. All right, all four of us go. Carter and Julie, stay close. You guys venture out a little bit deeper. And we would do this kind of on and off all day. Well, one point, um, we come back in and Carter and Jewel are in the middle of building an epic sandcastle and they don't want to go back out to the ocean. And so I said to my friend, are, are you good with them staying with you? She's like, yeah, of course, go. So me and the older boys... We sat off again, the short jaunt over to the ocean. We're over there hanging out. It's probably been about 20, 25 minutes. I'm like, all right, guys, come on. We're going to go back, and we're going to go check on Carter and Jewel. Before we even got there, instantly, I knew something was wrong. So we get back over, and I'm scanning, and Carter boy is nowhere to be seen. And I'm like, to my friend, where's, where, where's Carter? She's like, what do you mean? He went with you. I'm like, no, he didn't come with me. And I've been over there. She's like, Angel, yeah, he changed his mind. And right when you were walking away, he decided he wanted to go with you, and he started following you. Well, me, not knowing this, never turned back to look for him. Somewhere between the 25 yards from the tide pool to the ocean, he got distracted by another blonde, men in the house, and started chasing her. <laughs> so he starts chasing this other blonde that is not his mom, and I've been gone for 25 minutes. I have no instantly. I can't even tell the story without my hands shaking. My hands are shaking. I feel like I'm going to faint. My heart is racing. I feel like I'm going to throw up. And I just start sobbing uncontrollably. I, I just take off walking. It's Charleston on a Saturday in tourist season. There's people everywhere. My boy's been unattended for 25 minutes. He was so enthralled with the ocean, but lacked the reverence to understand not only the beauty, but the danger of it. In my mind, the most horrific images a mom could ever have are coming to mind. And I'm picturing his tiny little body floating lifelessly to the beach. And so I just start wandering. I call John. I can barely put together words. And I'm like, I've lost our kids kid. And I'm sobbing. I, I, I'm, I'm praying and just walking. I have no idea where the other four children or the other three children are. And, and I'm reciting every scripture that I can think of, most of which have nothing to do with my circumstances. Honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Honor your, I have no idea. So finally I just start praying in the spirit. And I'm like, he's dead. He's, I'm going to have to go back. I'm going to have to, we're going to have three, like all of these things come like rapid fire, right? Have you ever been in a situation like that? Finally, after what feels like an eternity, I have no idea how long it actually was. And like I said, I'm just wandering up and down this beach. 
my phone rings, and it's my friend. Thank God they're reactors. And had the wherewithal to call the police. Who thought? Who knew? You should call the police if you lose a child. <laughs> so they had enough intelligence to call the police. Turns out the lady that he followed turned around, saw him. They called the police. He was in, in, in no harm. He was in safety the whole time. They had taken him to, to the little beach police hut. So the little police cruiser rolls up, he jumps into my arms, and we just collapse, sobbing uncontrollably. You guys, I felt that experience. I was aware of that experience in every aspect of my being. And I was aware. I, I didn't stop shaking until I went to bed that night. And I was aware of it for a long time after it happened. Listen, every aspect of your being is designed to generate an awareness in your life. And when you understand how they are intended to function, reintegration, wholeness, perfect, complete, lacking nothing, is so much easier. So let's break down these components, the function of them, and, and look at them individually. Your body, okay? Paul says your body. Keep your body blameless. Keep your body consecrated, sanctified. What does that mean? Set apart. The function of my body, the physical entity that houses my spirit and my soul, is to make me aware of my surroundings or my environment. It does so through my senses, right? What are your senses? Sight, smell, touch, taste, hearing, okay? So we are all the time taking in external stimuli. And as we're doing that, it's generating this awareness. This is innately wired into your genetic coding, so much so that you don't even have to think about it. You can be walking along and suddenly you hear a dog barking. Yesterday I was sitting in my living room reading and I had this lilac bush outside and, and just this aromatic sensation hit my nostrils. I wasn't thinking, what, what do I smell? No, you don't have to try. This is wired into your genetic coding. This is how God made you. Your awareness of your senses, of your surroundings. God made you like this. Some of us arguably are, are more sensitive or more in touch with that external stimuli. It creates an awareness that sends signals to the rest of our body. Listen, my awareness that day, my sight telling me my boy wasn't there, sent some signals to my body, which is why I started shaking. Do you understand the relationship here? You think you do, but you really don't. I want to teach you. I want to equip you so you can live this life of wholeness, so that you can stop working so hard and walk in the fullness of what you were created for. So your body is designed to send signals of pain, pleasure, fatigue, distress, so many more. Have you ever touched something hot and immediately yanked your hand back? Yeah, of course you have. But did you sit there, this is hot, I should remove my hand. No, you guys, I've ruined my four kids. Because <laughs> I'm like, aware, aware, aware. So we watch Home Alone, and you know, the guy's getting his, his and they're like, no, you would never stand there and just let your head be burned on fire. Yes, this is true, but just enjoy the cinematic entertainment. <laughs> but I'm just, be aware, be aware, pay attention. This is happening every second of every moment. So when God calls us his masterpiece, gosh dang it, he means it. The human body is so marvelously complex that for us to assume for even a moment that we are the byproduct of some spontaneous combustion is just asinine. 
But with the same respect, science shouldn't scare us. In fact, it should leave us in awe of our God and the majesty of his creation. Because listen, even after centuries of the greatest minds of this world working day and night, we still know less about the human brain than we do the ocean floor. That's your God. That's how big he is. That's how good he is. So the function of my body is to make me aware of my surroundings. Now let's talk about your spirit, okay? The function of your spirit is to make you aware of God. Remember Genesis 2, God breathed his spirit into man. But according to Ephesians 2, we were dead in our spirit. Were we dead physically? No, we were dead spiritually. We were dead because of sin. And so when God breathes, it's that that spirit that comes alive. It's his spirit. And when we come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, our spirit becomes alive and it becomes aware of him. Jesus said, I have come that you might have what? Life. He said, I would come that you might have life. This new life in the spirit is what allows communion with God. It's what allows, it's why the veil was torn, so that we could come into his presence and commune with him. What does that mean? It means be in relationship with him. The function of my spirit is communion or relationship with God. That communion changes the standard for my soul. Ooh, this is so good. You have to get this. My communion with God, when my spirit comes alive in and through Christ, the standard changes. That standard now being God's word. So now my spirit is alive. And that spiritual aliveness, that spiritual life has changed the standard for my soul. Let's talk about your soul because your soul is a precarious one. He's a dangerous fellow, this guy. Your soul, remember, consists of your mind, your will, and your emotions. Your soul is literally the relay center between your body and your spirit, okay? It means that information comes in and your soul processes it. So so your soul is the relay center between your body and your spirit. Prior to your spirit being made alive in Christ, the only context for your soul were your experiences as told by your senses. Do you understand that? Prior to my spirit being alive, I'm ignorant, I'm dead. And so the only context, the only frame of reference I have is my senses. That's not a bad thing, that's how God made you. But there's a danger here, and Paul explains this danger beautifully in Romans chapter 8. Let's look at this. So the Bible says this. It says the mind, which we know is what? The soul. So let's read it like that. The soul governed by the flesh is what? Is death. But the mind, or the soul, governed by the spirit is life and peace. This word peace is translated wholeness. Ooh, this is good. Let's read it again. So the mind, the soul, governed by the spirit is life and and wholeness. Oh my gosh. Let, let, let's take a minute though. Pause break here for a minute. Look at it. It says, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Why? Why can my body not just bow down and worship God on its own? Why do I have to choose that in my soul and then relay that information to my body or my flesh? Because without the ability to choose, it's not communion. It's not relationship, and that's what we were created for. So it says, my flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Go to the next part. You, however, you, however, 
are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you. Are you reborn? Are you born again? Okay. So you are not in the realm of the flesh, but you're in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. This feels idiot proof to me. So, so we read this, your body, your soul, and, and your spirit are executing their intended functions all day, every day. But because we lack the language or the awareness of them, not just conceptually, but functionally, we're ignorant to it. We don't even pay attention to it. And yet God, in his sovereignty, in his majesty, in him knowing the beginning from the end, says, listen, every part of your being is a strategically executed aspect of your wholeness, your reintegration. But when we don't understand that, it hinders our ability to be made whole. It hinders our reintegration. I think John mentioned to you guys that we, we bought a minivan this year. Whew. It's pretty fancy. It's amazing. I love it. I wish we would have bought one years ago. But I'm not a fancy, fancy car kind of girl. This is a fancy car for me. And to be honest, when we first got it, there's a lot of like buttons and there's this screen and you would touch it and there's like a map and you has this like Apple car play thing. I know you guys are like, yes, welcome to this century. Listen, told you I'm not a fancy car kind of girl. But in addition to all those fancy pieces, it has these doors and it's like a, like an elevator. You push the button and the door opens. And I have really reckless and irresponsible children. And so if we can, like, minimize danger or threat for destructing of other people's property, I'm like, yes, sign me up. I'll take the fancy car. So you push this button, and the door opens. So I had the car for a couple days, and the button stops working. I'm like, oh, man. You can still open the door manually. You just had to work a little bit harder. First world problems. I have to open the door myself. So I called John, and I'm like, babe, the car's broke. We need to take it back. It's broken. The doors are not opening. We need to take it back. He's like, we're not taking the car back. I'm sure there's a reason that the doors are. I'm like, yeah, it's broke. We need to take it back. <laughs> if you buy a fancy car, you should, it should work, right? So it's probably the next day or so. I'm getting ready to pull in my garage, and I look up to push my garage button, and I notice there's this other button right there that has doors on it, and it says off, and it's lit up. So I push the button, and wouldn't you know, the elevators are back. <laughs> so I go inside all proud. I'm like, hey, just so you know, we don't have to take the car back. I fixed it. <laughs> He's looking at me all inquisitively like, you fixed it? What'd you do? Mechanical stuff. It's fine. All you, need to <laughs> All you need to know is I fixed it. You guys, you and I are kind of like my fancy van. We are. We've come equipped with these functional components. But because we don't really understand how they work, we're working so much harder than we have to. All right, so what, Angel? Maybe you've convinced me. All right, I'm free part being. All right, it's functioning. I'm aware of my environment. I'm supposed to be at least. Supposed to be aware of God. Supposed to be aware of myself. What, what, what do, I don't even know what to do with that. What, what, how, what is my response to this? How do I apply any of this in my wholeness? Well, I told you we were going to look at the concept 
of reintegration, the function, and the lifestyle. So, so what would a lifestyle of reintegration look like? Another way to ask that question is, what, what's my role in being made whole? What do, what do I have to do? Before I answer that question, though, let me show you what Jesus did so you could be made whole. In Isaiah 53, the Bible says this. It says, but he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. Slow it down and look at it again. He was pierced for our rebellion. Those are my choices. Okay, that's my soul. He was, he was pierced for my soul. He was crushed for my sins. Sin is ultimately what separates my spirit from his spirit. He was crushed for my spirit. He was whipped so we could be healed. That's my body. He was whipped for my body. He was beaten so we could be made whole, not fractured, not broken, not barely getting by, perfect, complete, lacking nothing. That's what Jesus did. Paul tells the churches all throughout the New Testament, listen, listen, guys, Christ bought you. He bought you with his blood on the cross. That was what he paid for you. How many blood-bought saints do we have in the room? Come on, this is not a trick question. I will wait. How many of you are reborn believers in Jesus Christ? Blood-bought saints. That's what that means. You're like, blood-bought what? Reborn, okay? Believers in Jesus. Okay, put your hands down. It's not a trick question. Awesome. You know what that means? It means he bought you. It means that you have an owner. His name is Jesus Christ. And as the owner, he has made us all managers. That's right. We are managers, not owners. Owners supply the resources. You know what he supplied you with? A body, a soul, and a spirit. Managers take care of or steward those resources. Last scripture and then we're done. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, oh, I found this beauty. Now, a person who is put in charge as a manager must be faithful. What does it mean to be faithful? It means to adhere to a certain standard. What's that standard? You know it, the word of God. I asked John, baby, what does it mean to be faithful? He said, I think it means doing what the master would want even when you don't feel like it. That's why they pay you the big bucks. Doing what the master would want, even when you don't feel like it. We're managers. Over the next couple of weeks, I promise you, we're going to teach you. We're going to break down these components and equip you in tangible ways to live a lifestyle of reintegration, a lifestyle of wholeness. We're going to have some incredible resources, incredible opportunities for it, none of which your salvation is hinged on, but your wholeness is. And life is so much better when you're operating the way that the master intended. Amen. Stand with me this morning. Listen, for some of you, maybe you're like, yeah, fractured, broken, shell of a being. You read my mail today, Pastor Angel. Maybe your spirit has not been made alive through Christ. Maybe you're like, blood-bought nothing. I am just trying to get through Sunday. If you're in this place or you're joining us 
online and your spirit has not been made alive in Christ, but you are trying your darndest to be whole and complete and lacking nothing, but every step you take, it's like one step forward, five steps back. You feel like you're in this hole, this pit of despair, and this idea of wholeness seems so far gone. You've blown it so badly. Listen, I wanna pray with you this morning. I could never, ever leave an opportunity like this and not give you a chance for that third aspect, that third component of your being to be a maid alive in Christ. So everyone in this room, I just want you to close your eyes, bow your heads. If that's you this morning, first, I'm, I'm, I wanna ask you two questions. Number one, if that's you, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I wanna pray with you this morning. Is there anybody here that just would say, I need to receive Jesus. My spirit needs to be made alive. Just raise up your hand and put it down quickly. My spirit needs to be made alive. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You can put your hand back down. Anyone else? I am broken, fractured. I need this wholeness you're talking about. Thank you, thank you. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. Here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna pray a prayer. I just want you to repeat after me. It's a simple prayer. It's a confession and a, and a submission, surrender of your heart to Jesus Christ that allows your spirit to be made alive. So just repeat this prayer after me. Jesus, I am a sinner in need of a savior. Today I choose you to be that savior. I acknowledge that you died on the cross for my sins. Today I receive you as my Lord and as my savior. Come in, forgive me, I repent. Equip me as my spirit comes alive to walk according to the standard that is your word. In Jesus' name, amen. For the rest of you, I just wanna pray this over you. Jesus, I just pray today that you would just get us fired up, that we would no longer settle for spiritual poverty, for, for a life that is dull and dead, but we would take the, just a hold of what you've paid for and redeemed us for this life of complete sanctification, wholeness in and through you. God, I pray that our eyes, our ears, and our hearts would be open, ready, and willing to receive the word of the Lord as in these weeks to come. Just challenge us, change us, wreck us for you that we might be worthy of the hope that is our calling in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, some of our prayer team is down here. If, if there's something going on and, and you just want somebody to agree with you in prayer, take this opportunity. They're here to minister to you. I love you guys. Go enjoy your day. Hopefully the rain stays away. At Dream City Omaha, we're all about helping each other do three things. Discover Christ, recover identity, and uncover purpose. Please check out our past sermon series or online discipleship classes. And don't forget to hit subscribe and the bell for notifications on all of our latest videos.